You're listening to the Trinity Podcast. We are a multi-site church in the Chicago area whose mission is to help you look, live, and love more like Jesus. During Lent, we are joining together in the Forgiving Challenge, a life-changing journey of experiencing the gift of God's grace so that we can share it with others. In this first week, we look back at the time when a resurrected Jesus burst into the quarantined room of the disciples. One of the surprising elements of the glorified body of Jesus was that scars remained on his hands. The scars of Jesus have a lot to say. Join us as we explore what God wants us to learn from this in week one of The Forgiving Challenge. So recently I heard the story of a man by the name of Simon Weisenthal. Simon was an Austrian Jew who was imprisoned in a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. And he actually ended up working in a hospital. And while he was there, a young German soldier was brought in to be treated. Unfortunately, his wounds were so terrible that it was very likely that he wouldn't survive. And so with his last hours, he actually requested to speak with a Jew, any Jew who was willing to talk with him. And they pulled Simon over to talk with this man. And to Simon's surprise, what ended up happening was this young German soldier spent the next several hours confessing to him, apologizing for all the terrible things that he had done, confessing about the people that he'd harmed and those that he'd killed, some of whom were Simon's own friends and family. And after this long deathbed confession, the soldier looked at Simon and asked him to forgive him. And as Simon was reflecting on that encounter, he wrote the following in a book called The Sunflower. Here's what he says. Ought I to have forgiven him? Was my silence at the bedside of the dying Nazi right or wrong? This is a profound moral question that challenges the conscience of the reader of this episode just as much as it once challenged my heart and mind. The crux of the matter is, of course, the question of forgiveness. Forgetting is something that time alone takes care of, but forgiveness is an act of volition, and only the sufferer is qualified to make the decision. You, who have just read this sad and tragic episode in my life, can mentally change places with me and ask yourself the crucial question, what would I have done? Weisenthal went on to actually pose that very question to a whole host of different philosophers, prominent thinkers, and writers. And he received 53 responses, which he then compiled into the rest of the book, really addressing this question in such a circumstance, is it possible to forgive this man? Now, out of the 53 responses, 28 people said no, forgiveness was not possible. 16 said yes, forgiveness is possible, and another nine said that they were unsure. But here's the interesting thing. Out of the 16 who said yes, Forgiveness is possible. Three were Buddhists and 13 were Christians. When it came to the Jews, the Muslims, and the atheists who responded to this question, they were unanimous. There's no way that Weisenthal could have possibly forgiven this man. There was no way that they themselves, were they in the same situation, could have extended forgiveness. But the Christians unanimously said, yes, forgiveness is possible. It raises the question, why? What is it that made these Christians stand out to where they were willing to bet on forgiveness? Well, I think the answer is a very simple one. At the center of the Christian story is this message of God's profound grace and forgiveness to us. 
the very foundation of the entire Christian faith is built around this story of the lengths that God is willing to go to wipe the slate clean, to forgive those who have done wrong, and to offer grace to a world that had turned its back on him. So on the one hand, it shouldn't surprise us that these Christians would say, yes, forgiveness is possible. And yet, one of the things that we find when we look at our society today is that overwhelmingly, when people think about Christians in the church, forgiveness is not the first thing that comes to mind. I remember a couple of years ago, I read the book Unchristian by David Kinnaman. He is the president of the Barna Research Group, and he was actually polling this younger generation of non-Christians when it came to their views of the church. And what he found as he kind of did his research is that 87% of young non-Christians see Christians as judgmental. 85% of them view Christians as hypocrites. The point being that most people in society today outside the church don't think about Christians as being forgiving. They see them as judgmental hypocrites, people who on the one hand may talk about God's grace and forgiveness, and yet who practically in their lives don't seem to know how to extend that same grace and forgiveness to others. And I think that the reason why is because we, as followers of Jesus, have somehow gotten disconnected from the truth that's at the heart of our faith. This reality that God's grace and forgiveness not only is freely given to us, but has the power to transform our lives and the lives of those around us. See, one of the things that we believe as Christians is that forgiven people are forgiving people. Let me say that again. Forgiven people are forgiving people. That when we know God's grace and forgiveness to us, it should transform the ways in which we live. It should reshape our lives and how we approach others. And that's the reason why we have decided to take the next 40 days doing something called the Forgiving Challenge. It's a 40-day journey in which we are going to get back to the heart of our faith, in which we're really going to look at just how far God's grace and forgiveness goes and begin to see how that forgiveness does indeed have the power to to touch our lives and bring beauty and freedom and new life, how God's forgiveness changes everything about how we live. But where I want us to start this journey is by looking at one particular story that's found at the very end of John's gospel. It's a story that comes after Jesus' trial and death on the cross. It comes after his resurrection. What ended up happening was Jesus had been put on trial. He'd been unjustly declared guilty. He'd been nailed to a cross and died. But now here, what we find is that his tomb is empty, that some of his disciples have sworn that they've seen him alive again. And yet it's in John chapter 20 that upon Encountering the risen Jesus, they they run into a problem as they try to share that message with others. Let me read to you just a selection from John chapter 20, verses 24 to 28. It says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, Jesus' disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. 
And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. It's this beautiful story in which one of the disciples who, who thinks that Jesus' resurrection is too good to be true suddenly comes face to face with his risen Lord. Where Jesus in that moment gives Thomas exactly what he's looking for. He says, you want to see the nail marks on my hands? Here they are. You want to see the, the spear wound in my side? Look at the scar. Behold and know that I am here. And in that moment, that, that beautiful encounter, Thomas falls to his knees and calls Jesus my Lord and my God. One of the things that's actually worth noting is that this is actually the first time in all the Gospels where anyone refers to Jesus as God. And, and one of the things that I love about this encounter is that it's, it's all built upon this, not just encounter with the risen Jesus, but this beholding of his scars. It seems like such an odd detail. Why is it that Jesus, the resurrected Lord, still has scars in his hands and on his side? I mean, of all the things that could have been made perfect in that moment, surely God could have wiped away a few scars. Well, but one of the things that I think is, is so profound about that is when you really stop and think about scars, you realize that scars tell stories. I mean, God has designed the human body to heal. And one of the ways in which he's chosen to, to help the body heal is actually through scars. There's something beautiful about that, that when we actually look at our scars, we realize that our scars have stories behind them. Some of those stories just might seem silly. Others are quite profound. I'm sure you've got a scar story to tell. Two of the ones that come to mind for me is that I have a very small scar on my lower lip. This was a scar that I received as, as a really young kid. Uh, the way I got this scar is I was being watched by my dad one evening and I was watching a, a Superman cartoon on TV. And I got this idea that maybe like Superman, I could jump and, and fly. And so I decided to give it a shot, took a big leap off the couch, experienced a half second of elation as I found myself weightless and then suddenly realized I'm going down. And I ended up landing right on the corner of our coffee table and splitting my lip open. Those were my very first stitches. You see, the story that this scar tells is that I'm not Superman, that everybody has limits. That's the story of that scar. Or I think about the fact that I have a couple scars on my hand, my right hand, and those scars were actually put there by my younger brother. One time we were in the backseat of a car and we got into an argument as siblings do and that argument got physical and he used his nails and he left a couple of marks to remind me that he could go toe to toe with his big brother. Now, here's the thing. I love my younger brother. He's one of the people that I'm closest to in my life, but these scars remind me that even the best relationships are sometimes messy. See, when we look at our scars, they remind us of things. They tell stories. Stories that help us make sense of our place in the world. Stories that remind us of lessons that were hard learned, but hopefully ones that we have begun to put into practice. So here's the question. What stories does Jesus' scars tell? What is the story that Jesus' scars point to? Well, the story that Jesus' scars point to is the story of just how far God's love and forgiveness goes. The reason that his scars are there is to remind us of the price that he was willing to pay for us. 
that when we think about our God, what we find is a God who doesn't stand above us in judgment, but rather a God who entered into our world out of his love to rescue us. This is a story that we have to be reminded of. This is why Jesus' scars are so important, is because there's a lot of people out there that when they think about God, the words that come to mind for them are anything but forgiving. They may view God as distant or disinterested or maybe even worse, judgmental. Rather than a God of love, many people think that God is a God of anger and wrath and frustration, one who has eternal disappointment in them and in their shortcomings. Yet Jesus' scars tell a different story. They tell us that our God is a God who's moved out of his love to extend grace and forgiveness. So, so passionate is he about restoring our relationship with him that he was willing to leave his throne in heaven. He was willing to come down into our dark worlds to, yes, live with us, share our joys and our sorrows, walk beside us, and ultimately go to death on a cross for us to pay the price that we couldn't possibly pay, that we might receive the reward that we couldn't possibly earn. Jesus' love moved him to a place of radical forgiveness and grace for every single one of us. And it's that forgiveness and that grace that changes everything about our lives. One of the things that I love about Thomas's own story is that we see that he goes from being a doubting disciple to being a devoted disciple. That if uh, church history is true, what we learn about Thomas is that he actually becomes the very first missionary to go all the way to India to bring the good news of God's love and grace and forgiveness to that subcontinent. And in fact, when I was in college, I actually had a friend uh, from India who could trace her family's own spiritual lineage all the way back to Thomas's ministry in her country. You see, beholding Jesus' scars and knowing the story of Jesus' forgiveness changed everything about Thomas. It allowed him to become a person who, who embodied Jesus' forgiveness and was so caught up by God's grace that he was willing to go to far-flung places, to people that he didn't even know in order to bring them the message of God's love. Out of the story of Jesus' scars flowed freedom and hope and new life for Thomas and for everyone else who encountered him. And the truth is, that's exactly what God wants to do with you and with me. He wants to show us how his scars and his forgiveness can actually change everything about our own stories. He wants us to wrestle with the, the scars that we carry, maybe not physically on our bodies, but the scars that we carry in our hearts and our souls, those wounds and those hurts that maybe have yet to fully heal. And to show us how his grace and his forgiveness can not only heal and bring freedom to those places, but how out of those very stories, hope and grace can be given away to others. That's the whole point of the forgiving challenge. Which is why over the next several weeks, we're actually going to use SCARS as an acronym to see just what it looks like to live a life covered by God's grace and forgiveness. Next week, we're going to start with the letter S and look at sin. This is the week in which we have to acknowledge that every single one of us has fallen short of what God wants. We've missed the mark. And during this week, we're going to dive into our stories and identify what's not becoming of a follower of Jesus. We're, we're going to see that any failure is actually an opportunity to fall on the grace of Jesus and to allow that grace and his forgiveness to come into our lives. 
Week two, we're going to look at the letter C and this idea of confession, in which we realize that rather than living with it or, or hiding or stuffing our sin, we can learn a better practice. We can bring all of our brokenness to God. We can lay it at his feet and, and allow him to minister to us in the, in the places where we've failed and fallen short. In the third week, we're going to look at the letter A and, and wrestle with this big word, absolution. But what absolution is really all about is it's a reminder that when we bring our sins and our confessions to him, God promises to forgive us of everything. This is a powerful week in which we're going to experience how our sin has been fully paid for by Jesus. Then we're going to look at the letter R, this letter that, that is all about the word restoration, to see that God's forgiveness doesn't just stop at, at pronouncing that he doesn't hold our sins against us, but actually he wants to bring real healing to our lives. He wants to enter into those places of sin and brokenness and actually restore our relationship with him and bring healing and freedom into those parts of our own stories. And finally, the last week, we'll look at the letter as sanctification. Again, a big theological word, but one which just reminds us that after we've been forgiven and restored, we are invited. We are invited into the work of bringing the forgiveness that we've received to others, of bringing the grace that we've received to the people around us and learn how to extend that forgiveness to those who desperately need to know that they are loved and forgiven by their God. That's where we're headed for the next 40 days. That's what the forgiving challenge is all about. It's an invitation to walk with Jesus to be reminded of his story and to see how that story, that love, that grace covers everything and brings healing, freedom, and new life. And my hope and my prayer is that you will join us. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks that your scars tell a story. They tell a story of your grace and your forgiveness to us. And Lord, I pray that as we journey together over the next 40 days, we would see just how amazing your grace is, how deep your forgiveness goes, how extravagant your love toward us is in you. And so, Lord, help us to be a people who are not afraid to go on this journey, but to see that not only is forgiveness possible, forgiveness is freely given. Not only is grace offered but grace is something that continues to sustain us each and every day. May we come to see that we are forgiven people who then become a forgiving people to those around us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Trinity Podcast. We hope this week's message encouraged you to consider the claims of Jesus in a new way, and we would love to have you join us for worship on the weekend. To find a location near you, visit www.tlc4u.org.